Welcome to the Say Network Podcast. I am your host for this episode, Abraham Guevara, and with me I have Jim Sparks Hello. and Megan Bialpando. Hey guys. And our guest today is Dave Woodoff. Hello. But you're not really a guest, you're like part of our staff. That's right. But you're just a guest on this podcast. Glad to be here. Yeah. Special guest? Special guest. Special guest, Dave Widow. Does he get special guest status? Yes, he does. <laughs> he does. Except after we stop rolling, it's it's gone. Back to normal. Back to normal. <laughs> uh, but we will be discussing a very, I think it's kind of a heavy topic, um, and uh, but I think it's a topic that needs to be discussed. Before we get to that topic, uh, Megan is here with a, uh, a little bit about youth culture, a little bit of a resource, a little bit of... Uh, Tell me what it is. <laughs> well, I'm going to take a page out of Abraham's book. How dare you? <laughs> Why do we even have a section on... Am I the only one that follows the rules in this section? <laughs> it's evolving. It is. All right. Um. So we have been monitoring and following this page um, for the past... In our situation room. ...couple months. We have like screens everywhere. Yes. <laughs> and we check up on it. <laughs> and uh, anyway, it's called... Uh, it's an Instagram page called Preachers in Sneakers. And we found out about this through Jim. And he discovered it. I'm not quite sure how he discovered it. Uh, it was Jim on Instagram. It, it, yeah, I found it <laughs> Instagram. But I would say I was in the. I think I might have been in between five hundred and six hundred at that point, somewhat early. Hmm. Okay, early adopter. Well, if anyone is not familiar, preachers and sneakers. Basically, the um, creator of that Instagram, they they go through and they um they look for photos of of popular um preachers, worship leaders, christian speakers and they assess their shoes, their footwear and also their clothing and accessories and they will take a photo of those shoes or accessory or clothing item whatever and they will actually look up the value of that and uh kind of provide a humorous critique I, I don't know what to call it um but anyway it, it's very interesting I mean there's everything from like Gucci shoes to Nike off-whites to just all kinds of um wardrobe and footwear and uh it's interesting um I'm just curious what you guys think about that concept I think it's a interesting way to critique um, kind of Christ- Christians um, and and sort of our outward appearance, I guess you could say. Um, so I'm curious what you think about that kind of method of critique, and then also um, what do you think about the idea of some of these these kind of um, very popular Christian again preachers and speakers and worship leaders wearing very expensive clothing and shoes and that kind of stuff? What do you guys think about that? I think we have a pretty. I think our, there's a spectrum with us, right? Yep. In, our, in our in our department, I think some of us think it's pretty great. Some of us don't think it's the greatest, um, but that's great because then we can talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. I think in my uh, in, I don't know. I've been like, I, initially I was like, this is hilarious, and then after a while I was like, I kind of felt like, uh, eh, maybe this is triggering the wrong things in me. So then I like unfollowed it, and then I followed it again. And then I unfollowed it. So I've, I've teetered on it, you know, uh, I've wrestled a little bit with it. Um, personally, I, I don't know. I think it, it does. Uh, I'm curious to see what you guys think. And then I'll keep, yeah. I'll keep going. What do, you, what do you think? I've been almost confused by the Instagram cause I followed it for a little while and I, it almost seems to have taken on an angle where <laughs> like, uh, like people are almost celebrating some of the cool stuff people are wearing. Huh. Cause you, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but I feel like some of the comments are like, whoa, those shoes are actually fire or something. Like it's. Did you say they're actually fire? Well, that's what they said. I, I would never say that. He would never. They would never. Those words would never <laughs> fall out. I got of uncomfortable in my chair. <laughs> <laughs> What's the other one they say? Uh, they say, got that drip, right? Oh, God. Wait, no, no, no. I think no. I got it. Because I think what it is. It just happened, guys. It's, it's when your ice is so fire, it drip. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dave. Right? Okay, so that's what I've heard. <laughs> it, oh, man. It doesn't make any sense when I say it. No. That's why you're all cringing. I like it. I like it. <laughs> uh, it makes perfect sense, Dave. <laughs> if you're listening to this in your car, I apologize if you've <laughs> swerved off the road. I'm just trying to make linguistic sense of what people are saying. Anyways. It, it, uh, go ahead. I can't even <laughs> try to figure out the right uh, things to say. 
my I guess my take on some of it is like uh, it all comes back to I guess stewardship is the concept, mm-hmm. right? And stewardship is this idea that everything we have is God's; it's really His, and we just need to be responsible with what He's given us. So if you feel led to give to something in the church or to a ministry, you should give to it. Paul talks about we should give what we've decided in our hearts to give to the Lord and, and to his ministries, right? Um, if you're not really convicted about something, it doesn't necessarily mean it's okay, but uh, I don't think it necessarily means it's wrong if something's expensive and you buy it. I mean, a lot of us, it's not even just shoes, but we find other things that maybe we like, um, and you could kind of make a slippery slope argument where you start like overanalyzing maybe every single thing you're buying, hmm. trying to determine if it's too expensive or not too expensive. I mean, a vacation, going out to eat. I mean, all of these things need to fit into sort of an integrated stewardship in your life. So if you're giving what you've decided in your heart to give, and I guess you're you know, in prayer, considering these things, trying to figure out other ways that you can give and be a part of God's fellowship, and that's working for you, I guess. You don't feel convicted about buying something nice, like a good pair of shoes. I don't see a problem with it, I guess, but I think you just need to be in prayer and be aware of the stewardship of your life, I guess. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. I think, for one, I think the Instagram account lasted is lasting too long because you could flip it real quick because there's so many followers of it now that if you get on, now you're getting attention to yourself which is which some of these really want. Mm -hmm. So this is turns into no publicity is bad publicity argument because then maybe they get more followers because of the attention. So I think the, I like the idea of what the count did because it picked on shoes and uh, initially I I know it does some other stuff as well, but mostly just shoes and it's highlighting a bigger problem than just shoes. And it's picking on shoes of, Ex, maybe excess spending of uh, just for public sake and uh, to for to keep an appearance of wealth and high endness um, and uh, like it, it's you know when you're when like uh, my old babysitter was confronting the pastor uh, the the evangelist that was riding in his own private planes and those kind of things the, the, the just picking on the shoes, it, it's it's picking on the larger issue of consumerism. Uh, I think with them uh, buying expensive things, you know, that are, you know, part of your life that you might need and stuff like that. That's that. There's an easy argument to be made there because it's quality and it'll last a long time and blah blah blah. But um, so that's why I liked it. I liked it at first because I, it was it was it was a weird way of of attacking the same issue that people have been talking about forever. And it caught everyone by surprise, and it it probably made a lot of those people think uh, of of what type of message that they're giving, um, and maybe maybe they changed on some of their appearance uh, because it's mostly for appearance the that what they're doing because they will wear them once or twice and stuff like that, and it doesn't it doesn't really matter to me if they're given to them or if they bought them because. It's if they're just trying to send a message of wealth, then that to me is a that's a uh, it's the wrong message. You're yeah. trying to teach people to not be of this world, and you're exactly being of this world to try to yeah. be in this group of the haves. And so, it, to, to me, it doesn't matter if they were just given to them or stuff like that. Like to give them to you, then if they're running shoes, go for a run in them. Like you know, mm-hmm. uh, then treat them as if they were free shoes, and they wouldn't. They they just won't. And uh, that's the reality of it. So. Uh, I do think that the account probably could have stopped a while ago and it would have been fine and, and people, mm-hmm. we would have thought about it for a long time. But, um, but yeah, I, it's just, it, I, and I realize people have lots of money and they will like nice things and I don't, I don't have a problem with people with nice things, liking nice things. But I think if you're doing it just purely to give this appearance of wealth or this illusion of I've got it all together and, or I have arrived, I've succeeded uh, now it's not me casting judgment on all these people, but if that's kind of how it is, then that's that's bad news. I think uh, the the thing that made me unfollow was probably I was doing a little bit of that when I was looking at the account, and I noticed that it was kind of I said it was triggering things in me that I don't think should be triggered, and it could have been tr- it could have probably triggering envy or jealousy, and then judgment, 
and then self-righteousness and all these things like, well, maybe I'm righteous because I don't have those things, you know? Um, I do feel like excess is kind of graded on a curve. Like, and, and even like when um, the Bible talks about believers who are rich, like it acknowledges that believers, there are believers with money, you know? Um, and they, at the time they dressed a certain way. And many times they were given treatment, special treatment because they were dressed a certain way. And the Bible clearly condemns those things in the body of Christ. Um, but I, uh, I, I just, on a personal basis, I felt that, uh, yeah, it was getting a little self, I was getting myself a little self-righteous. I noticed the comments I was reading were a little self-righteous people feeling that now, oh, that, and I think the comments weren't always healthy. A lot of the stuff people were saying on there, it wasn't healthy Christian. Like, oh, we're, we're calling this guy out as a Christian brother. It's like, no, like I always knew this guy was, a you right. know, was a whatever, you know? So it was just kind of reinforcing what people already felt about these guys. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I leaned, I thought it was kind of cool at first, like, uh, because there are times when you do see the excess. Um, but then it's like a hard one to call on, on certain, you're broad brushing a little bit, you know, with everybody. And there are some guys you're like, Oh, that guy's a sleazy guy or whatever. But then you see somebody on there, you're just like, Oh, that guy's kind of a, a decent dude. He's, he just likes nice shoes. You know, um, he just has a really, he's just really into that for some reason, you know? Um, and then I don't know how much these guys give. I don't know how much these people are in their generosity. There's all these other factors into there that, um, we're all kind of, you know, there's too many questions, you know, for me to kind of judge somebody on that sort of thing. Right. And that's why I like that. He just, it just created the conversation. Yeah. And, uh, it, it started that like, Oh, maybe we need to pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah. I think you're right. They should have. And uh, to be honest, a lot of those high end shoes are ugly. I mean, yeah. unbelievably ugly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, that, I mean, that's a whole another. Is that another angle on it? Yeah, it's. <laughs> I mean, uh, the the ultra thick midsoles that are popular right now, like those are gonna be popular for like six months. They're not hanging around. <laughs> they're going the way they tried that in the '90s and it didn't work, and they're gonna try it again. And they're going the way of those Kim Kardashian sketchers with the yeah, <laughs> the baby rockers. But yeah, those didn't work either. So, from a practical standpoint, but. Yeah, I mean, it, like with anything, is we don't know the whole story. We don't know all that stuff, and we don't know a lot of things. That's why I never feel in a place to comment on things mm-hmm. because we don't know. We don't. We we don't have that information. But I do like what it started, and I like that it made people think about that kind of stuff and what do you look like because perception is a very real thing, and mm-hmm. you could be the most generous person in the world, um, but if it looks like you're just stockpiling a bunch of money and yeah and you're flaunting it almost to a, an extent and i that's an issue yeah i think that's a good point it's not just um like generosity doesn't necessarily like counteract your motivations for your appearances right? no and that's what you always hear it's like yeah. well they give a lot right that's well i would that's be, not really what it's about i would chime <laughs> in though that the guys uh, you could say that the reason it seems like they're flaunting is because they're being highlighted for those things you know like this account was specifically made to highlight yeah but we've been to like that you've been to events where everyone is dressed a certain way and then someone rolls out and they're just rolling a little deeper yeah and you've been but you've i think i would and say you, the, and you the, could the, see it on them you're like uh, right and then you stop you don't go to that guy's event you know or you don't go to that person's event right or you see their other instagram photos and stuff like that and they're just wearing normal stuff and so, like, right. they're dressing up for that occasion to be seen. To be seen, sure. And, and, and I think that's out there. I just think that, like, there's there there's not everybody does that, and some of the people being called out weren't necessarily like that. Sure. Well, yeah. there's yeah. There, I'm not saying it's all good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I I think where I kind of um, had a hard time at first, I thought it was really good, and I thought it was really funny, and I was like all about that account for like a while. <laughs> and then it got really personal because one of your shoes showed up. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's a good picture. Of you. If only I could afford those shoes. Um, but I think where I kind of struggled is I started to see some people that I really respected on there. Um, hmm. There were some some speakers and preachers that I I have a lot of respect for. Or I've read their book or that type of thing, and I was tempted to just. Um, write them off you know like oh like they're you know mm-hmm. discredit it almost felt like I was tempted to discredit them for everything that the, that they had said that was good and, and and that kind of stuff because oh well they're really materialistic or they're mm-hmm. you know showing up on this page and I ended up unfollowing it because it just didn't sit right with me I was like no like just because maybe they they're human you know maybe they they yeah. they went and 
made this materialistic decision or maybe they're doing that or whatever. I don't know the motivation behind it, but um, I don't, I, I don't want to just discredit everything that they have to say because of that. You know, they're still, they're human. They mess up. They make mistakes. You know, it's just hard because they're in a more public platform or they're being called out for it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I was kind of, I, I was super into it and then I kind of backed off it a little but bit. But isn't that the good lesson to learn of like, we can't, I mean, we, you can't judge a book by its cover. Mm-hmm. You know, we can yeah. not like the cover and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but that's a good lesson to have and particularly in the way media is driven now is it's an either or and it's turn it off forever or not and so like i i wouldn't stop listening to any of those people that i would normally listen to if they did that i'd call them a bonehead right <laughs> if if they were doing that but <laughs> I, you know i'm a bonehead i do stupid things as well and i would hope that someone would give me grace mm. uh, on that yeah. It's you know, it's different when they get called out and they spend their life justifying everything and then you're like, Okay, you've had enough. I think we just have to be careful to to not buy into that sort of temptation of let's just discredit them let's cancel them let's right. just you know yeah. discard them for for one thing or you know maybe a, a bad decision or yeah. or what a non-tasteful decision i think that maybe that's cause I, I i feel like i've had we've talked about this the little sort of uncomfortability with the account right mm-hmm. and uh maybe that's what it is to me is it's like when we call that out, we're kind of holding people accountable in the faith, right? To like their stewardship or their, right. what they desire about their appearance. But to be honest, I almost feel like that's, that's really the job of the local church. Mm-hmm. And this account is really blasting them across the internet, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's where the discomfort with it comes from. Yeah. Cause I mean, I could totally see that in like a small group or a local church context. If, if people came to me or I don't like, know, hey, Dave, others. you're being a bonehead as opposed to Dave's being a bonehead. Right. Exactly. Like come to me on your own and say, Hey, uh, like, I don't know, like a close friend or something like, or if you're having a Bible lesson or a Bible study about stewardship, like that's the time to bring that up. Like, Hey, you know, just curious and notice this in, in your life. Every time you're speaking at an event, you're always like dressed to the nines. Like, is there something going on with that? Mm-hmm. You know, because that's how you can bring up these concepts of stewardship and appearance and maybe pride and other things. But to blast it on the Internet, man, that's sure. Well, that's well, I got to believe too. the person who did it didn't expect probably to blow up like that. Yeah, yeah. that's actually that's true. Yeah. There was the, the I, that's got to be like, oh, you know, it'd be kind of funny if we we did this. Right. Right. And then it just did it with off. his friends. I think that's how initially. Right. Like and that's why friend. that's why I think if it was done and gone. Yeah. It started a good conversation and then it could be gone. I think this is great. I mean, I think it's pretty interesting because, yeah, this is a spectrum of views on, on this whole thing. Um, but, um, but yeah, man, I, I, you know, I, th- I even think people listening to this are sort of on either side or whatever if this is a good thing. But, well, um, I, what, what is fascinating is people's fixation on the actual sneaker part of it. Yeah, right. And it's not the sneaker part. Right. That's, not, that's not the whole point of it. It's, it's pointing out a, a potentially larger issue. Yeah. And just using sneakers as a, and the problem is, is when people are measuring it by people's sneakers now, it's like, th- that's just ridiculous. Right. No. And mm-hmm. okay. So you might spend, you know, $35 on your shoes, but you could be spending unbelievably atrocious things elsewhere. You might have yeah. other hobbies or different things that yeah. are ridiculous. So yeah, it's, it's I think there's a something in the Bible about plank eye or something like that. Right, right. <laughs> plank eye. That sounds something like a disease. Plank something eye. about plank, plank eye. Something like Stay home from eye. school if you have plank eye. Yeah, <laughs> but it's one of those cases. I don't know. I th- I think the other lesson to be learned out of this is don't comment on just don't comment things <laughs> like that because <laughs> we all. if you don't know the entire story then yeah. why don't you just chill, just relax. Yeah. Unless you have, fu- uh, it's got to be funny, but. <laughs> Right. Like, if you got something funny, I'm going to go ahead and throw a shot. But, yeah. Awesome. When well, people take it too seriously. <laughs> well, thank you, Megan. That was actually a really good one. I think this discussion is going to keep going, and it'll, we'll probably co- it'll probably come up again here, too. It's, but um, Well, it's real timely. It came out last year. So. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> For Always sure. Always on the trend. Always on the trend. And, Awesome. Well, uh, Dave, we, we, we're glad you're here. Uh, and gl- thank you for joining us. And uh, no we're going to get into this topic of apostasy. Um, uh, Jim. <laughs> yeah. 
Dave, tell uh-huh. us a little bit about yourself. Give us the background before uh, we get into this. What's your uh, theological background? Where did you go to school? Well, I did my undergrad at the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Uh, I actually, I did a pastoral ministry major there. So Pastoral ministry? Yep. So Master's was, degree? Yeah. So after Moody, I went to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, and I did an MA, Master of Arts in Biblical Languages, and a Master of Arts in Old Testament. It's kind of a dual program. Did a lot of Greek and Hebrew and some other languages, and yeah, really got into biblical studies there. So you understand Greek and Hebrew? Yep, pretty F- much. Fully? Yeah, I mean, I, I Read can't, and r- reading I can't and always read it straight through, but I mean, know the words and stuff. Read through most of the Old Testament in Hebrew uh, when I worked for Logos. What was that so, like? Uh, it took seems Greek to him. <laughs> <laughs> It took uh, two years, so it took a long time, but we went through all the words trying to like put their senses on them and stuff. Huh. Yeah. Uh, besides uh, ping pong and the chicks, what was your favorite <laughs> part of Bible college <laughs> seminary? Uh, gosh, my favorite part. By the way, that would be a good band name, Ping Pong and Chicks. <laughs> Girl band. <laughs> that would be pretty strong. <laughs> TM. Uh Guess. I think my favorite part That's was... How it works. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's fully licensed. Fully licensed. Now, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, probably my favorite part was that when you're in Bible college and seminary, you really just get completely dedicated time to study all the questions and things you have about your faith. I mean, it's, it's almost a strange context. Like, where else in your life do you just have every day dedicated to that kind of one purpose? And so you just have all the time in the world to really dig down into these questions and concerns and concept of your faith. I mean, one of the reasons I kind of got into some of this, I still think about this, um, in high school, Sunday school class, I remember we were going through the uh, historical books, the life of David, and so this was even before college, but fits in. I remember we were reading about like the, the prophecy Nathan gives to David after his sort of sins and issues with Bathsheba and killing her husband and stuff, and Nathan gives this judgment against David, and it kind of goes against his whole family and what would happen later in the future. And then like weeks and months later in Sunday school, we finally came to some of the things that came true. And that was the moment it clicked in high school that like scripture has sort of like continuous narratives. It has sort of overarching themes that connect things together in biblical theology. So when I got to Moody and Gordon Conwell, it was just like the gates were open to explore all of these concepts that are interwoven in all of scripture. And I just found it fascinating and super interesting. So. That's really cool. You had a good Sunday school teacher because anytime you talk about that story, I'm like, oh, geez, <laughs> my kids that they have to learn from me is not that. Trying to live up to that? <laughs> it's pretty rough. <laughs> we we talk a lot about culture. Yeah. I can never stay on the Bible topics <laughs> with them. And it's, it's, it's some them, but a lot of me. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. <laughs> but you're getting your, you're working on your PhD? Oh, gosh. Yeah. It's taking forever. What is it on? Uh, I think the title is a cognitive linguistic analysis of nefesh in Hebrew, which is like the word for I love nefesh soul or some butter. I haven't. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say I haven't subscribed to Netflesh yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's like ten dollars a month you say or something net, like that. Netflesh. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> so many people are cringing right now. I know. Over the word flesh. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> Abraham heard that. That's what Abraham heard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, that's the word for like soul or spirit or life. We're at three eye rolls from Megan already. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to use uh, linguistic theory to help us understand what Hebrew words mean better. Um, because linguistics is about like how language works universally in a lot of ways. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of background and stuff. Basically just using linguistics and how the mind works with language to understand Hebrew words better. And then this one word, nefesh, is my sort of test case. If you can do this process with this word, you could do it with other words and understand words in their senses and how they relate to each other better. Man, that's pretty heavy. Yeah. I'm always fascinated by, like, how do you zero in on that? You're like, uh, I could do a lot of <laughs> things, but that well, nefesh. Well, I'm really kind of interested <laughs> in your old nefesh. I got connected to my advisor when I was working at Logos, and I had lunch with him. My colleagues were like, they knew I had tried to get into some programs and didn't quite like the American programs are very competitive in the schools in Stellenbosch, South Africa. Anyways, my advisor did consulting work with Logos and he, <laughs> I had lunch with him and he's basically like, yeah, Dave, we can get you going in the program. I'm, I'm taking students now and like, uh, you want to study Eam? You want to study Lo? Or do you want to study Nefesh? And Eam 
means if, and lo means no. So it's like, do you want to study the word for soul or no or if for the next like five to seven years or whatever? <laughs> I was like, I think I'll take the word soul to study yeah. for years. I didn't want to do the other ones. So that's not boring. I don't know. If you would have gone no as a parent, you would have been able to. Right. All the context of that word. I feel like yeah. it might have been simpler in some ways, but anyways. <laughs> Low. On that note. Yes. What is apostasy, Dave? Oh, <laughs> no, that's like yeah. a crazy thing. Hey, you I, said uh, it correctly. Good job. <laughs> I can't. You can't pronounce it? Apostasy. Apostasy? It's kind of Greek when you say it. It sounds, it sounds like no, you're saying it right. It's how Canadians say it. Just for some yeah. context, um, we've uh, there's been a lot in the media lately, uh, oh, yeah, recently, yeah. about this word apostasy. Mm-hmm. And um, Abraham, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think uh, th- there's been a couple kind of prominent right. members in the church who have um uh walked away from their faith mm-hmm. uh, or are walking yeah mm-hmm. uh, from their faith and so um we've been seeing this word a lot lately and yeah. i think that kind of inspired some of yeah. some of the idea for this episode right and I, I mean even i mean you might be even listening this might be sort of where you might feel you're at in this moment of doubt and maybe exploring what apostasy is it sounds terrible it is i mean it's it's rough but you want to tell us sorry i'm I just it's all right. It's all good. She has Dave. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I just I kind of hijacked you again. Yeah. So I'm um, make I, an edit point. Real I quick. did open the door for you. To say Thank you. <laughs> I, you shouldn't have done that. You see, you kinda, you should know better. <laughs> right. So I guess uh, apostasy. I mean, kind of strictly, is this concept of leaving the faith of of rejecting Christ, rejecting, I guess, your salvation in a sense, and just sort of claiming or choosing to to go your own way kind of ignore your faith and, and to live as if you don't believe it anymore. I think that's kind of the the real core of apostasy. So then what's the difference between apostasy and doubt, or is there a difference? Oh, there's definitely a difference, because uh, apostasy, I think, is more of the the, sh- the sure break with your faith. And, it, and there's a lot of complexity to this. Like in the Salvation Army, we, we hold to this doctrine that you can actually lose your salvation entirely. Um and not all, not all churches believe that, so there's there, like I said, there's some complexity in that. But but every everyone has doubts in their faith, and that's not apostatizing in the least. Um, I mean, e- doubts are even in a sense good because it it pushes us, gives us motivation to understand what we believe and to really uh, dig into Scripture to see what the answers are. So yeah, everyone has doubts. You don't have to be afraid if you're doubting that that's somehow your apostasy or something. That's that's different. Do you think that people can come back from apostasy? Oh man. So yeah, I've been I've been wrestling with this one for a bit, kind of considering the uh the topic of today. Um the difficulty really comes up because there's a passage in Hebrews that kind of talks about this this idea about, you know, someone who is um actually Abraham, do you have it there? Yeah, I can look it up real quick. Yeah. We can wait. Or if you want to keep going, go ahead. Sure. So Ab- Abraham will read in a second here, but it kind of talks about someone who is it sounds like in the passage, who's a believer, essentially. He uses four kind of phrases about someone who is following Jesus, it seems like, and then falls away. And it seems to say that, you know, they can't be brought back to repentance. It's a very strange passage, and it's kind of strong. So you got it there, Abe? Yeah, it's right here. It's yeah. uh, Hebrews 6, 4. To 6, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it says, uh, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Right. <laughs> so can you kind of distinguish, so yeah. what what is sort of the Salvation Army's stance on that with our beliefs and then maybe like other churches, what do they kind of, sure, yeah. might, might be their stance on that? Try to get this uh, stated clearly. So again, in the Salvation Army, we believe, um, what does the doctrine say? We believe that continuance in a state of salvation depends upon continued obedient faith in Christ. So the implication then from that is that if you no longer have... Um, continue to obedient faith in Christ, that your status of salvation would be sort of lost or given up might be a better way to say it. And, and it's important to note in that, too, that obedience is a modifier of faith. It's not obedience and faith. It's obedient faith. So it's about giving up that faith you have in Christ. In the Salvation Army theology, would be giving up sort of your salvation as well. 
So in other churches, I think they have it a little easier, especially with this passage, because they see salvation a lot stronger in terms of like God's work in our lives. And, and we believe that too, that salvation is God's work in us, but other churches are going to take a slightly more maybe deterministic angle on this, that God has you know, specifically chosen individuals for salvation. And so the logic behind that then is that if he has chosen them for salvation, you know, he's not going to let them turn away because it's his choice to save them. So they are, you know, perpetually saved and, and they'll be in the kingdom then, right? Uh, we take a less deterministic view in the Salvation Army, more based on this concept of free will, that, you know, God's grace has given everybody the ability to turn to him. We call it prevenient grace. Sort of it, it overcomes this original sin in us. Otherwise, we would just kind of go our own way always. But God's grace allows people to choose him and to turn to him in faith, and then he saves us from our sins or forgives us from our sins. So when you come from this sort of free will perspective, it is kind of logical that if you chose freely to follow him, you could at some point in your life then choose freely to, to leave the faith, to disavow what you've believed. But when it comes to this passage, the burden of proof is kind of on our perspective then to say, well, what do we believe about this? I think when maybe someone more from a Calvinistic perspective would read this. Um, Reformed theology. Yeah, they're probably going <laughs> to... <laughs> That's right. They're probably going to see it a little differently, uh, and again, more in terms of, of God's sovereignty. They're going to say that, you know, the writer of Hebrews, we don't really know who it is, is talking about someone who's been a part of the faith community, who seems to profess all these things, but who really wasn't chosen by God, obviously, because they've abandoned it. And then obviously they wouldn't be brought back to repentance because they're not one of the, you know, chosen specifically by God people. So it's not a problem so much for them. But it, it's more of a problem for us because, again, if we believe in this free will, we have this question of what about people who really do kind of reject the faith? Like, can we not bring them back? Isn't it uncomfortable to think it's about? It's very uncomfortable. <laughs> it is. Um, but it's worth thinking about. It is. So there's a few options, and I think, I mean, feel free to chime in, guys, if you have anything. But I think there's a few options for how we can interpret it just quickly. Um, First off, I mean, if you're listening and you've had doubts or even if you've had a time in your life where you've kind of walked away from the faith, I, I don't think this passage is made to give anyone anxiety about their status, especially if you are following Christ now after a period of doubts. That's not the purpose at all. And it's it's not to be like God is like shutting the door on you or something like that. Um, I think it's entirely possible that you could have a period in your life where you've doubted and walked away from the faith. If you come back, I think there's a... There's an angle in interpretation here where it's like, if you came back to the faith, then was your rejection really honest and true? Did you really give up the faith if you came back to it? And we, we have this concept in Wesleyan Arminian theology called backsliding, and it's a little ambiguous. You can backslide to the point of sort of spiritual death where you do lose your salvation, but I think you can also backslide in the sense of uh, like a time of serious doubt. You can even say, I think, a time where you've walked away from your faith, but you haven't quite given up your salvation. You haven't quite given up your faith to the furthest extent. And so your coming back is not what this passage is talking about. It's not renewing you to repentance again, but it's you coming back to maybe a reaffirmation of what you've believed previously. So again, if you're... Well, like the prodigal son. You sort of a prodigal son it. thing, yeah. There's another passage too I was just looking at before the podcast. Um, it's in 1 Corinthians 5, 5, I think. Paul is talking about... <laughs> it's, really, it's really a weird passage. He's talking about someone who is like married to his father's ex-wife or something like that uh and he's he's very paul's very upset about this it's 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 not his mother it's like his stepmother i was just doing some math <laughs> i know she's a cougar <laughs> jim looked at me funny there um, paul is very upset about this because it's uh, you, i should have looked up the passage but it's an indecent relationship and he basically says in the passage this person is living kind of like they're not really a christian this shouldn't exist in the house of god at all and you should kick them out of the church but he has this really interesting line at the end where he says, you should hand them over to Satan so that in the end their soul may be saved in the last day. It's sort of this idea that you're, you're giving them a way to live this seemingly ap apostate you know, behavior, but it's for this sort of redemptive purpose, that in the end they might realize the error of their ways and come back. So, so Paul, at least in this passage, seems to talk about someone who is extremely far from God who can still come back. Look at the verse right? here, if you want to hear it. It's, uh, you are to deliver this man. It's Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5, 5. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh 
so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Yeah. So I guess I just use that as an example of someone who seems like they've rejected the faith, rejected righteous living, rejected all of this, but who still has hope. So, so I, again, I, coming back to the writer in Hebrews, I think he's encouraging his readers to be sure of their faith, to know what they believe, to hold fast to the faith and the way of Jesus. Um, and I think what he's probably warning them against is this, like, he's warning them against this idea of giving up your faith sort of finally and ultimately, where you don't come back, um, because that's still a reality, I think. And, and I mean, I hold to this doctrine that we have in the Salvation Army, that it is possible to lose it. Um, and I think that can happen through, we talked about doubt earlier a little bit, right? Um, when we maybe indulge our doubts, when we, when we let our doubts um, what's a good metaphor for it? Sort of uh, fester maybe and grow and ferment in our lives. Uh, I mean, I'm kind of using uncomfortable uh, metaphors on purpose. We shouldn't let our doubts grow inside of us because I think that's what kind of leads us down this path of backsliding and backsliding and backsliding, which could lead to this loss of salvation ultimately. I, I remember growing up that verse, these verses like scared me. Right. You know, right. Uh, I grew up from like the, the back. Growing up. Scary now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember. Uh, I, we were t- I was telling you the story too. Like uh, we would always like we'd always say, "Man, at the last second, if anything goes down, I'm just gonna ask God to forgive me." One more time. One more time, <laughs> just in case. Just to be clear, just to have it's like the you know the the control save button, command save. Just <laughs> yeah. always hit that button. You never know what could happen. Right. Uh, but it was uh, ultimately came from a misunderstanding of what of what this was and what this meant. Yeah. You know. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, some of the uh, salvation and loss of salvation concepts become a bit circular too, but there's room, I think, even to interpret this as Wesleyan Arminians, where like the person who has given up their faith entirely, um, they're not going to come back anyways, because it is sort of a finalized decision in their hearts. Yeah. I would say even exper- we've we've probably heard of, or we've all experienced, or known people where this, this has happened, we've all known somebody who's fallen away. Right. Um I, I yeah I will get more into addressing that later, but um, yeah. we've all we've all kind of seen it, and um, and life experience kind of gives us a good understanding of even this verse, you know. Yeah. I, I think. Yeah, and in terms of like application too, I mean, goodness, if someone walked away from the faith, and you have an opportunity to like maybe counsel them, or they're or they want to come back to church and things like that, like by all means, bring them back. I wouldn't use this verse in any context to say like, nope. Dude, yeah. you gave it up. You can't come back to church. There's right. no point. I mean, come back, but he's not going to take you back. Like, isn't that sort of the, uh, the where shunning comes from? Right. I just think like, I'm not. I mean, I'm trying to keep a consistent hermeneutic with this passage here. I don't want to interpret it in some funny way just because it's uncomfortable. But again, I sort of go along with this idea that if if someone is coming back to the faith, that maybe that's evidence they really didn't give it up to begin with. You know? Yeah. That they were just in a season of doubt, a season of, you know. There's a phrase someone used earlier, like a dark night of the soul. I don't know where that came from, but Batman. <laughs> Batman sounds like it. So, so well, I don't know. I hope that answers some of the questions on it. But it's it's interesting. One last thing I'll just say is that as I was looking it up in scripture, I think the word for apostasy, like in Greek in particular, it only occurs twice in the New Testament. But as a concept, it is referenced in other ways about people leaving or falling away from the faith. So it's kind of an interesting concept as a whole. Awesome. Uh, speaking of doubts and, and this whole thing, we know you have an apostate because you're here talking to us. I haven't apostatized. Apostatized. Yes. Apost- it's not apostate, right? An apostate would be a person who has left. Okay. Faith. You have yeah. not apost. You're not an apostate. Right. Yes. See, Jim's uh, <laughs> filter <laughs> kicking in. The <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you haven't uh, apostatized because you're still here. Right. Uh, but you've ha- have you had doubts? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, and at different times in my life, definitely. I mean, in recent years, I've definitely had times driving, you know, from one place to another through the highways of Los Angeles, like asking God, like, God, why is this happening? Yeah. Why aren't you there? Why is nothing going on? Yeah. Uh, and it's very frustrating. And I feel like that's kind of a doubt thing. Like, I mean, I've joked sometimes about being a little deistic. Deism is this idea that God, like, <laughs> created everything. And then just let the world spin and he doesn't involve himself anymore. 
And, and to be honest, I, I have been a little frustrated sometimes where I felt like, like, God, why aren't you acting more? Why aren't you doing more in the world? Like, like I'm kind of doubting. There's a funny part to me, though. It's I, I don't necessarily doubt his existence, but, I, you know, it's other kinds of doubts. But it relates, I guess. Um, Is that an insult? I mean, tell somebody what? you're such a deist. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> um, I, but, you know, honestly, recently I feel like I've, I've kind of been turning a corner on that, seeing more in scripture, reading more, studying more, and then seeing how life works out. I, I guess I feel like I can see the Lord's hand working in more things now. Um, I feel like I got away from the question. What was, oh, stories of my own doubt. Yeah, any, any moments? Yeah. So there's, I'm laughing because one of my more, it's kind of humorous. When I was a little kid, like I want to say 10, 11, 12, I doubted a lot of stuff, but it was, it was really my faith becoming my own and understanding my faith myself. But I can remember distinctly, trying to understand like salvation and being saved. And, and of course, like as a kid, you understand your faith in, in kind of simpler terms. And unfortunately, sometimes that is like the, the parallel of heaven and hell. And that's like the only thing you really understand. Like, I don't want to go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go to heaven. S- simple, but yeah, a little. No complexity. In, yeah. In, you're a kid, right? You kind of need complexity to make it honest so anyways uh, i remember being like on vacation with my family we were by like uh we were at the hotel pool and i kept like going to swim but then i was like afraid if i didn't understand like my salvation perfectly right like and i drown in the pool i go to hell so i like get out of the pool and go ask my dad like dad what is this thing about like wait salvation and like how does this belief thing work again and then he would answer me and i'd like jump back in the pool and then i'd have some other question i get out of the pool and go ask him like wait but what about this thing I'm, I'm just not sure how does this work like like with forgiveness like do I have to remember all the things I did wrong to be forgiven if I ask God? Or, or does he know all the things that I did wrong? Can I just do one prayer for all of them? You know, kind of kid stuff, but it was related to doubts too. I remember, I might get the name wrong. Is it Josh McDowell who does the evidence evidence that demands a I verdict? I believe so. I think that was the book, Evidence yes, that, that Demands, demands a Verdict. verdict yeah. It's kind of like a primer apologetics right. about your faith. And my dad walked me through with that and it was... Very helpful. I mean, that, yeah. that kind of helped me really get into my faith more. Yeah. Have any, I guess I can open the question up. Have any of you had those moments where you doubt a moment? Of, I mean, we've all had those moments, but can you think of a specific moment? Yeah, I, I, I've wrestled with it a lot over the years. And uh, I remember, like, feeling like I must be the only one, you know, <laughs> especially going through, like, some of the spiritual high summers that I've gone through and I was like man and then uh I remember a couple of years ago uh I, I don't know it was like 2007 or something like that but uh, mother teresa had died and uh she wanted all these letters to be removed that she had written to different people hmm. and they preserved them and stuff she wanted them removed but she was dead and so they kept them for her ultimately for her her case for canonization right and it was full of doubt huh did i get it right canonization it sounded like you said canonization like the canaanites (laughs) and it was full of doubt it was uh there's a lot of letters of doubt that she wrote and she was writing to her spiritual friends or spiritual mentors and saying uh like some pretty heavy things and this is this is a person that, you know, is incredibly revered and everyone thought it was like perfectly holy and stuff and, yeah. and was really struggling with like, I, I can't see him. I can't hear him. And it's just feels empty and, and stuff. And so I was like, well, I'm not alone in all of this and, and really understanding that. And so, mm. I don't know, it kind of helped me out a, a little bit of like, Hey, that's, you know, it's part of the, maybe the faith process of, understanding of what this is and and doubt leads to good questions that often come good answers for us yeah. as well but i i was really struggling with that and then i was just really blown away that mother Teresa. yeah <laughs> i mean it's it's over a 40-year stretch uh right. of and where uh, was she sri lanka or was that where she was is it india india, india. okay yeah yeah i mean doing the work she did right yeah yeah, you would think doing the work she did, you would think you would see like these miracles and these crazy works and stuff like that. But it was very clear that she struggled with it, and uh, and like I said, some of her letters are like heavy, like some pretty heavy doubting yeah. uh, stuff. Uh, 
and so I, I don't know. To me, it was it was a little bit of relief in a way of seeing that other people struggle because we don't talk about doubt in church often. It's no. not because it's scary and it's weird, and you're not supposed to have doubt, and so uh, it's almost taboo in a lot of ways. And so, for that to kind of become public and widely public, it, yeah, felt a little. Uh, uh, it's okay. You know, it's it's okay, and you're not alone in that. Yeah. I'm just remembering now. I wish I had seen the movie before this, but did you guys ever watch the Scorsese film Silence? I know. I just heard it. Right? The, I saw a no. video on the plot of it. I haven't uh, watched it, but, but hearing the plot. It's yeah. something about these missionaries who are they're sent to Japan to find yeah. another guy who, apost- who apostatized. Priest who apparently left the faith, right? And it's about their, like, trials and tribulations there. I just remember the end of the trailer, like, it's really intense about all this like persecution and wrestling with faith. And then the screen right. goes black and you hear a voice just say, are you there Lord? Or am I just speaking to the silence? Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, what's dun, happening? Dun, dun. Right. I think I heard the film was good and I have to assume it has kind of a redemptive arc then, but I haven't Spoiler. seen it myself. Spoilers. I don't want if spoilers. You, you don't want spoilers. I want to see the movie. Then I won't tell you then. That's okay. Fine. Thanks. Watch the movie. <laughs> uh, I think for me, um, I've never really doubted that God was there. Um, I've just had a lot of things in my life happen where God, evidence of God's just presence has been there. And so I, I feel very, very strongly about that. But I do, I have had times where I felt like God's maybe not hearing me or not listening to me or, you know, like something's going on in my life or I'm going through a difficult time and I feel like God's just like, does he not see me? Does he not hear me? You know, I know he's there, like he's just not responding to me in the way that I feel like I need a response in a certain way or something. Um, But I have had multiple situations where I've also had God come and and do something like amazing, you know, so like a a total answer to prayer or um, one thing that I think helps is, um, you know, if I write down my my prayers or prayer kind of things that I'm praying about and then I, I revisit those things and it's it's slowly but surely I feel like God answers those things like it might take some time. It might take a day, a week, a month, a year, years. <laughs> but um, I always feel like God God answers it. And, and through that, I'm able to, I feel like, see his faithfulness, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's awesome. I, uh, I've had, I remember there's a moment where I hit kind of that wall of doubt. Uh, and it was a, the first time I experienced it. I was watching a documentary, which and looking back on it, I'm like, oh, I don't know why I doubted after watching that. But it still, it was like the first time I heard a lot of this information. And I remember the first time you experienced that feeling of like, wait, what? That's like, is that, was that true? You know, is that real? Um, this is feeling of almost fear initially. Mm-hmm. of like, oh, what is, what is going on? You know, um, but there was this moment of like, I kind of stopped the brain, stopped my mind. I was like, all right, if what I believe is true, if God is real, then whatever path I lead, I go down, I'll find him. He'll be there, you know? Um, and I got really into apologetics. <laughs> I got really into apologetics, man. <laughs> I went deep dive, man. But it wasn't just like looking for things to support it, but I was listening to to um, to things that were counter, counter arguments to, to things I believed. I was like, I wasn't scared. I was like, let's see, you know, let's see where this goes. Uh, I don't know if everybody needs to do that, um, but I did it. And I think that um, I came out of there, I came out of there, I feel spiritually and my faith is just pretty it feels strong a lot of those doubts that i had have just been like you know like been handled um but i would even i'm not even gonna tell you like it's it's not like it stopped there's moments where i still doubt other things uh and, and like you're saying like is sometimes i don't doubt if god is there anymore but sometimes i doubt um if he, his character like is he does he does he really want something really good to come out of this for me or is it going to be tough you know I, I doubt those moments and, and, and I, and it's a moment more of getting to know God and, and, and just getting to know who he is. And, and yeah, it's a lot of struggle there, but it I do think that hearing what you're saying, you're dealing with those doubts. It does sound like, um, doubt is almost like a part of the workout, you know, a workout. Yeah, of your, yeah. yeah. Um, so moving on from this, um, we, we, we're all youth leaders. We, we've all been involved with youth. Um, and I want to get a little bit into uh, d- engaging, you know, the doubts of our youth, because um, as youth leaders, they're going to come to you with questions. And I will say that out of, out of any moment in time, these these kids got questions now that are a little bit more, uh, a little tougher. Um, I remember I, I've said this before that, like, 
growing up, it was like, is this the sin? Is this a sin? Is that a sin? Can I do this? Can I do that? Can I hold hands? Can I, whatever. Now kids are like, is Can there I even, <laughs> now it's like, does sin even exist? Right. Kids are questioning, you know, is, why should I even believe the Bible? Why should I even, you know, right. um, there, there was a study that, uh, I, I, and I'll link all these articles in the show notes. Um, but, um, there was a, a study I was reading, um, and about the skepticism of this next generation, which we call Gen Z. Um, and it says that Gen Z or those born after 1995 do not trust businesses to act in their best interest in the best interest of society. According to the results of a new study by brand consulting BBMG, a strategy firm by GlobeScan that was shared by Marketing Dive. Um, basically, the study was saying that um, that this new generation doesn't trust businesses. They don't trust big corporations. There's just a skepticism that is you know, prevalent in this, in this new generation of kids. Um, and, uh, with the generation being increasingly skeptical, how do you guys think that the church can respond to this increasing trend? Oh man, I think we gotta be ready. I mean, number one is we just, we can't ignore this. We can't just hope for the best. Um, <laughs> now I'm thinking of another movie. You remember uh, Deepwater Horizon? Yes. Mark Wahlberg on the, the oil rig and everything. That's a, I love this one line. I think I used it at boot camp a few years ago, but he's, uh, he's talking to like this manager is coming down to like grill him on what's going on with the rig. Cause Mark Wahlberg was saying it was bad and, and needed repairs and stuff. And he, he uses this line saying, you guys are just hoping for the best here. You're just hoping nothing goes wrong, but hope ain't a strategy. Yeah. Hope is not a strategy here. And yeah. I think that that's got to be so true for our youth ministry. We can't just hope for the best or like hope we'll have an answer or hope, you know, the kids won't ask the hard questions. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think it's in first Peter. He says that we, we have to be prepared to give an account to anyone who asks. I might be butchering the paraphrase there, but um, yeah. And, and it's, I'd say, especially in this day and age, it's complicated topics like apologetics, like you were talking about Abraham, but there has never been another era in civilization where information is more readily available. Yeah. There is so much content out there. Now, maybe the problem is just sifting some of it, but goodness, I mean, you can go on Amazon, you can go on YouTube, you can find speakers and books and whatever you need to learn about some of these issues and to have the answers. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to like guilt anyone, like if, if you're not ready, but this is important stuff. And, and what Abraham said is, I mean, what you said there, man, is totally right. Kids are not, young people are not asking kind of some of these simpler questions about, you know, where a line is with sin, but they, they want to know, you know, what is sin even, or how do we even know that God is there? Or even some of the questions I was talking about, like, if God is there, why don't we see him acting? They want to know about the problem of evil in the world. All of these sorts of things are, they're on the forefront of young people's minds now. And that may not have been true in earlier generations. I think also when it comes to, you know, this Gen Z not trusting um, big corporations, I think it's important to talk to them about, you know, what is good character? What is it like to have integrity? What is yeah. it like? So like when they're growing up and they have like when they're faced with like ethical dilemmas and hard, hard decisions and ultimately into adulthood when they become adults, you know, making sure that they they have those skills and that ability to be to be able to um, to make the right decisions if they're ever put in a situation where they're they're working for one of these businesses or they're they're in the midst of of this type of um difficulty yeah it it kind of puts the church in uh i'd say if looking at the study you could almost say that if the church decides to step up and be more transparent we could actually stand out from a lot of you know their businesses that they like these corporations and a lot of these businesses they could see oh there's an organization that is has good character you know, that they, they're doing good things. It's, it's, it tends to be a marketing strategy now for a lot of companies to, sh to try to show like what they do, you know, um, all the good things they do because they know they're very much aware that kids don't trust them. You know, yeah. they're, they're not like us. When I was growing up, we'd see, we run out to go buy anything, <laughs> you know, we trusted brands or whatever, you know, we assumed every Coke commercial was being honest, you know? Um, but yeah, there's just this overlying, they're, they're skeptical of everybody. So you don't have to be so hard on yourself as a church, but it's a chance for you to kind of stand out from the crowd. Um, if, I think I, the weird part is for me is I think we asked those questions like when I was young. Yeah. We asked really difficult questions, but mm. if they weren't prepared to answer it, they're were like, well, we're not going to talk about that right now. Mm -hmm. And then that was a 
good enough answer for us at the moment. Right. It was like, uh, all right, whatever, just <laughs> moved on. But I think that's where the separation, the, the change in the generation is like, no, that's not good enough. I need to know yeah. what that answer is. And uh, I, if but, I might, I mean, yeah, I, there is an angle there too, where we, uh, we don't want to like, we don't want to give people answers if we're not even sure too. Oh, I say, I don't know all the time. Right. So you got to be comfortable saying you don't know. But like you're saying, Jim, like in the past, maybe that was where the conversation ended. If you don't know, tell people, tell your young people you don't know the answer, but then go and find the answer. You yeah. got to give them something, you know? You can at least show them that you're, you're you're on the journey with them. Exactly. Yeah. And that they're not alone. And I think that's kind of what you were saying, how it felt good to see that you weren't alone. That mm-hmm. it, it means Mother Teresa struggles with doubt, you know? I know. And we have a lot of similarities. Yeah. You're like <laughs> <laughs> identical. Right. Height. Just yeah uh there's another uh this was interesting the reason i bring this up is because i I do believe that there is a a really a close tie with doubt and um difficult moments um but i was looking at this study from the american psychological association and uh, they saying that for the majority of gen z gun violence mass shootings and school shootings are a significant source of stress 75% Hmm. 75% of those in this age group report mass shootings as a significant source of stress and nearly as many 72% say that the same say the same about school shootings or the possibility of them occurring uh, around seven in 10 millennials report similar feelings about these events. Um, but yeah, like we're ministering to a generation that is, ex- that is experiencing tragedy. That's the generation that is in our churches right now, that younger generation, like the stuff they've had to go through and experience and see on TV, on social media. Like we had our, we had nine 11, right. But they've had this over and over and over, you know? And with that, there's definitely a doubt that comes in towards, um, and a cynicism that comes in, um, Hmm. you know, because of these events, how can we prepare? How can we be prepared to face these questions, you know, as church? I mean, ultimately kids just want to, an honest relationship with you. And, and if you're in a teaching capacity, they want to learn from you and, uh, they want to know what you believe is to be true and maybe explore that themselves as well. But they just want a genuine relationship Mm. out of you. And, and in times of, uh, tragedy or major discomfort or whatever is they just want, they just want someone to sit down with them and listen to them and care for them. I mean, I, that's not changed for generations, yeah. but what is different is they have more distractions, maybe away from that, uh, to, to be able to hide from it a little bit easier than what we would have been able to, or yeah. previous generations would have been able to, because we would have been bored or bored a lot faster. Right. And so, um, I don't think that will ever change. And I, I, I mean, that's why it's, that's why it's the most important thing in youth ministry is just genuine relationships with young people and caring for them and letting them know that they they are loved no matter what, even in times of uh, strength and happiness and, and especially in times of doubt and grief and, and that they're still loved. Yeah. When you say distractions, do you mean like when they have doubts or fears about you know the world and things around them? Like they turn to social media or other things instead of leaders and yeah. people they trust. They could they yeah. could turn to their favorite YouTube channel or their right. new Just YouTube channel. To distract channel. themselves away from these problems. Right. There's yeah. a lot a lot of masking agents right. that could be done. Or there's a lot of avenues that they could go and try to learn themselves. But, yeah, that's but true. But mostly it's to distract. Yeah. I feel like, you know, as youth leaders, we can't be afraid to talk about this stuff. Yeah. Um, even, uh, you know even if it hasn't happened and impacted them on a personal level, we should still talk about it. It's a, it's a major topic. It's a, clearly this research shows that it's a, it's a serious um, uh, cause of stress for people and anxiety. And like, we can't be afraid to talk about this. We can't be afraid to talk about those more difficult issues and those more prevalent issues that people are facing. I think the worst thing we can do is bury it and just pretend like it never happened. Um, but I think when we do address it, we have to be careful not to scare them or, you know, be all, <laughs> I don't know, have some extreme response right. or anything like that. But um, I, I really think having more and more conversations about it, talking about it um, is is so important. Yeah, I think we could learn from Mr. Rogers. I mean, he talked about everything, 
Right. And and he was teaching children about it. I mean, it was one of the Kennedy assassinations. I'm not sure which one it was, but he went on the air the next day and they talked about it. Yeah. Right. And Mr. Rogers wasn't afraid to talk about it. Right. And uh, Well, he even talked about racism. Yep. You know, he had the pool and he right. invited the um, police officer who was African-American to come and um, I think put his feet in the pool with right. Mr. Rogers and, and just have a conversation. Yeah, it's it, it's true. We, we could have those conversations. And I think once you get to the realization that you don't have all the answers and they don't really expect you to have all the answers, then I think it's just easier to go ahead and have those conversations. And I think we can't assume that they're have they're having these conversations at home with their parents. Um, some might be, you know, but I think in terms of a lot of the youth that we work with in the Salvation Army, some sometimes as youth leaders, you are that role. You are you do pay you are a parental figure in their life. Um, at least for that time that you have them at the core. And so we can't just assume that they're um, having these conversations at school or in their home. Or um, I, I think it's important that, that the church is having these conversations with them. Uh, the Bible says in Jude uh, 22, it's also one of the shortest books of the Bible, the shortest book of the Bible. Verse 22. Right? Verse 22. Yeah. I only got one chapter. Uh, it says, uh, have mercy on those who doubt. And uh, what, is, what does that mean to you guys, having mercy on those who doubt? Man, I mean, I think it's uh, obviously just being kind and not, in a sense, holding it against them. Not, I, I just, I, I feel like I can think back to older times, maybe where doubts were, other people would be afraid of someone who is doubting. Like somehow it impined on their own faith. Like, how dare you doubt my faith? Hmm. Even if it was them doubting their own personal faith, right? And having mercy is is coming alongside them and understanding their doubts. And I mean. That's really disingenuous if someone's judging someone else for their doubts, because like we're all saying here, like everybody has some of these kinds of doubts. So having mercy on someone who's doubting is, like I say, coming alongside them and saying, hey, man, me too. I wonder about some of this stuff. Here's my doubts. But then also like saying, let's look to scripture. Let's see what the word actually has to say about some of these things. Yeah. Gosh, I just think it's important not to write people off <laughs> like just because you disagree yeah. or with them or they're having this doubt or they're going through this like our response needs to be compassionate I think our response needs to be empathetic and um, we need to uh, we need to want to have a conversation with them and say hey what's going on why do you feel what are you doubting what uh, let's talk about this let's talk through this um, but I think we can't just uh, isolate or ostracize them just because they may have a different thought or, or belief on something um, yeah, I just, I, I, to me, it's, it's showing grace to that person. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely an uh, element of honesty that you need to have with them, uh, and not acting like you've never doubted not acting like you've never like, you know, felt those moments. Um, yeah. And just love showing them love and mercy and, uh, don't leave mean comments on their, on the Instagrams. <laughs> I think you guys, uh, Paul, you have the same song in your head that I do as there's a cornet solo, um, called don't doubt them now. Oh, what? Don't that, doubt him now. That's all you, Jim. <laughs> and yeah, the that's... lyrics, don't doubt him now. Don't lift your heart to sorrow through all around, though all around seems in such disarray. God's love is sure, sustaining through tomorrow, dispelling doubt that only brings despair. Don't doubt him now. Don't doubt him now. Maybe that was the benediction. That was good. <laughs> benediction. All right. Well, Dave, thank you so much for being here, um, for, for sitting down, chatting with us. Um, yeah, if, thank you for the donuts. Yeah. yeah. Dave, Dave brought us Dave is all a donut, uh, sidecar donuts. Giver. You've bought my friendship, Dave. <laughs> it was good. That, no problem. The, no lie, that was probably one of the best donuts I've oh, ever yes. had. Top. It also weighed the most. I've never had a <laughs> it's donut like a one, that, a one that's pound donut. that heavy. I, it's like been six <laughs> hours and I still haven't finished the donut. <laughs> Well, Dave, thank you so much for being here. Um, mm-hmm. If you are listening and you're interested in learning more about doubt or this topic of apostasy or anything else that we've discussed, um, some of the articles that, that we've been talking about, we will have everything linked down in the show notes with the episode. You can also reach out to us directly um, as well if, if you've got a specific question or, um, I don't know, just want to talk more about, about this topic. Um, you can reach out to us on social media or you can email us at sayconnect at gmail.com. 
Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Say Network podcast on iTunes and on YouTube to receive notifications and make sure that you do not miss an episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with a brand new episode. Thank you.